You're listening to highlights from One Planet podcast interview with Jason DeCaris Taylor, a sculptor, environmentalist, and underwater photographer that has been awarded the Global Thinker Award. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. I mean, they get claimed and almost owned by the sea, and the textures that form, the patterns, all things that could never be reproduced by human hands. And yes, it's entirely unpredictable in many cases. And I go to some of the museums, expect to see this type of colonization or this type of growth. And it's nothing like how I've seen it, envisaged it, and it's completely different. Other times, something's made it its home, and there's an octopus that's built a house around it, or there's a school of fish that have nestled within the formations. There's been many different surprises along the way. I first started off in the West Indies uh, on an island called Grenada, um, which is a tropical reef system. And I expected the works to be sort of colonized. And I knew, obviously, hard corals took a very long time to get established to build their calcium skeletons. But actually, they were colonized within days. We saw white little calcareous worms, pink coralline algae, green algae literally appeared sort of overnight. And then they had these incredible sponges. You know, you see a lot of sponges on the reefs and you don't really take a lot of notice. But actually, some of the formations and the patterns, and they sort of blanketed the sculptures with a network of capillaries and veins and and these incredible sort of scarlet reds and pinks. And it was something that I had no idea would colonize in such a way. And sponges are really interesting because they actually filter water. So they almost like breathe the water in and then exhale it out once they've taken the nutrients. And for me, that was when the work sort of really became living and part of the ecosystem. And I thought it was a kind of a really nice metaphor that we are nature. We are part of the system and we're all connected. And I think we lose sight of that a lot. The changes are so subtle and so hard to see that, yeah, it's hard for me to factor that in. I have had some cases of coral bleaching where I've actually planted corals into the sculptures and they've formed these amazing webs of antlers and kind of fingers that come off and I'm really pleased with them and then there'll be a sustained period of warm weather and all of the coral will bleach and die and the sculpture will just be covered in algae again. So, that yeah, there's definitely been disappointments again this was also in mexico we had like a inundation of a certain type of green flat algae and it was a project that i'd been working on for three years and we installed it and then three months later it just became a big ball of green algae (laughs) and i felt so demoralized but we did a little experiment we actually cleaned algae off around 10 sort of sculptures and left it all And it was interesting that the part which we'd left to its own devices, actually all the fish ate the algae and and the current blew it away. But all the bits we cleaned, the the algae came back. So I think it was quite an important lesson early on not to interfere too much in the process. So whether it was the four horsemen of the apocalypse on the Thames, which was all about climate change, or if it was crossing the Rubicon, which was a big installation in the Atlantic Ocean about reaching this point of no return. I have really sort of tried to keep that first and foremost because I, I wouldn't say it's not the only issue that matters, but it certainly is the foundations of, of our lives and everything else would be irrelevant unless we can solve this challenge. And then there was also messages that I really wanted to bring forth. And in regards to sort of climate change, I really think we've missed an opportunity where we've had so much science and so many facts and figures and warnings and conventions, but we've forgotten the part that has motivated us for millennia that is our emotions and i think 
you know, that's where art and that's where often religion comes to the fore. There's one particular one in the Atlantic, which I quite enjoyed making, which was called Las Holoteros. And it was a, a group of young children from the island. And they had a tradition every summer where they would make their own boats from oil drums. And so we did a quite a nice project where we took all these old recycled oil drums and cast them and had the children sit in them and they made their own paddles. And we produced this final installation. And for me, it kind of embodied everything that we were setting forth this generation and we were equipping them with something that was so fragile and so delicate and ill-prepared for the future. And I, I felt that really sort of captured what I was trying to get in that project. I mean, I personally, I think all of them are elevated by the marine environment. They're all much more intricate and meaningful pieces when they're colonized. And like I mentioned earlier, the palettes of color and the textures and the variety of forms. And there's a whole sort of web of life just on this one structure. So that's certainly the most meaningful part. And now that some of them have been in the water for 15, 20 years, they've really colonized. And one of the earliest projects I did in Mexico, I was fortunate to go back last year and it was really moving just seeing this area that was sand previously had thousands of gorgonian fan corals it had about 80 different types of sponge turtles schools and schools of fish and it also had this beautiful stuff called fire coral which is a very aggressive coral and i don't think it's technically a coral either but it does produce amazing forms and it because it's so aggressive it completely covers the surface of the works so you can see the sort of shadow of the person beneath the surface but the actual substrate is covered in these tiny fiery like hairs that burn you if you touch them but just provide this incredible sort of golden hue around that piece i think for me it's really easy to underestimate the power of the sea the power and energy that it can provide and there's a lot of issues that we need to solve but you know the major one is our fossil fuel economy and we have to change to sustainable energy as quickly as possible the sea has so much built-in energy that can be harnessed and i know there's lots of new solutions being able to convert that wave energy now in, into the power grid and there's obviously offshore wind farms which are particularly effective because there's so much strong offshore wind so i do think the sea obviously holds the keys to many different things but i think energy is where it could be a complete game changer and i've also been working on energy systems so i've always enjoyed the fact that the artworks have this dual purpose and as the works underwater produce these artificial reefs i've also been trying to work on some land pieces and the world of solo is changing incredibly fast and now there's some amazing technology that allows me to actually change the skin of the sculptures so that they produce energy and light and so i'm working on some quite ambitious concepts for those there's a real hard balance of demonstrating the facts but motivating people to want to change and to feel differently and there is you know an incredible amount of hope around it. The sea, you know, some of the places I've gone have been so incredible, how they've returned, how nature's reclaimed, how nature will always survive in some form. I, th I think there's so many positives that could be taken away, but we just need to change slightly our language or change slightly how we relate to that ecosystem in order to be able to, to protect it. I mean, I've cast a lot of children. That's probably been the most sort of concurrent theme through my work is in each area I do try to work with local communities and also young children because I think it's such a powerful message and really instills that sense of responsibility on what we're leaving behind.
I think it's just the passion and love that people feel when they talk about these places. So I think many people tend to talk about the ocean as a commodity or as a resource, or we talk about stocks of fish. We don't talk about <laughs> incredibly diverse, <laughs> beautiful wildlife. And actually, when you talk to communities, I think a lot of people think about it like that. It's like we wouldn't tolerate if someone came into our environment and demolished our local forest and decimated all the wildlife, but somehow it seems more acceptable underwater. Whereas, in fact, when you talk to local communities, it's a very sacred space and it's something that is incredibly meaningful to them. And we actually got some new works which actually have scientific monitoring devices in them. They have little sensors in that monitor temperature and salinity and other factors, and they can be removed and then scanned. And all that data can then be downloaded to also monitor how the works are. And that was one of the recent projects. I actually just completed a big project in Australia, uh, which just opened on World Oceans Day. And uh, one of the main pieces there is this piece called The Ocean Siren. And it's a young Indigenous woman that's standing on the coastline. And she She's actually attached to a weather station connected via a satellite link to a weather station out on the Great Barrier Reef. And that feeds data back to her. And then there's a solar array that uh, changes a series of LEDs on her skin. So she changes a red and orange color when there's prolonged spikes in temperature that could indicate coral bleaching. And then when the water's cooler, she obviously comes back down to a cooler blue or green color. I just think we need to protect these areas. We have to feel for them. We have to understand them and we have to feel that connection. So I would certainly encourage as many people as possible to learn to dive and, and to really be in the moment, be in the space in order to foster that empathy for our marine world. For me, it's one of the most beautiful, spiritual and diverse places on the planet. And it's so sort of little understood, but it's changing. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.